Right, let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you so much that you do speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word. And we are really thankful that you give us clarity about how this world works and what's happening in this world and what's happening in heaven. And we pray that we would understand this and find great comfort in it this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you've been in the heart of a natural disaster, you'll know what chaos really is. I've been evacuated twice by bushfires. Uh, once was when I was 11 years old down in Victoria as part of the Ash Wednesday bushfires and the fire came within metres of our home. And the second was around 18 years ago when we were living on the north side of Sydney and there was a fire that came very, very close and we needed to get everything in the car and drive away. And I can tell you when you were driving away from the fire, the adrenaline is pumping. But imagine what it would be like to return to a home that was burned to the ground. This is the experience that hundreds of Aussies have had over this last summer. But now this year has gone from bad to worse. And the effects of an invisible virus is causing chaos around our planet. The experience of COVID-19 tells us again that our society might be smarter and richer than ever before and more connected than ever before, but it is still helpless in the face of a global pandemic. So where does God fit into all of this? Well, the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, gives us answers to this very question. It's written to Christians who are suffering persecution for following Jesus. And the words give hope to those who stay committed to Jesus. And it's a book that brings great comfort to Christians. And that is because it reveals true reality. It pulls back the curtains on how God is working in, his troubled, in this troubled world in which we live. It's a book that uses unusual language as well, as it tries to somehow grapple with what is almost indescribable. There are images of strange beasts and lots of numbers and colours and other things as well. It, and the kind of, the, the script sort of reads like a, a, a bit of a Hollywood special effects disaster movie in so many ways, and we're going to see more of that tonight, in the, this morning in the chaos section. But he uses this language to help open our minds to the most real reality that there really, really is. Last week we saw the first of four different pictures of human history as we viewed reality through the worldview of tyranny. As I said last week, the way that Revelation works is, after you've got all the letters and so forth to the, to the different seven churches, it's then we kind of like get four different perspectives from start to finish about reality, about history. And so it's not like it starts at the start and ends at the end and there's a timeline that goes from year zero to a year, a billion or whatever. It's not kind of like that. It's, it's actually, it does it over and over again four times. And I, the analogy I gave last week was it's kind of like four different com uh, camera angles on a car race. Uh, you might watch the entire car race from the camera that is at the side of the track then you might rewind and watch the entire car race from a helicopter's view. And then you might rewind and watch the entire car race from the onboard camera. And then you might rewind and watch the entire car race from the pits. Uh, you see, it, it's kind of, that's what we're doing. Last week, we looked at the entire car race, well, the entire history, through the eyes of tyranny, which is bad people doing bad things. Today, we're looking at the whole of history through chaos, through the bad things that happen. 
So we're going to be seeing today, we're going, as we look at chaos, we're going to be seeing specifically history from the view of chaos. We're going to be seeing history from the view of chaos. And what we'll see in chapters 8 to 11 is basically in all these chapters, we're going to see seven trumpets. And these seven trumpets are going to make their noise. And after those trumpets blow, seven different things will happen. The first four will bring disaster upon the earth. And we'll have a brief look at each of those four. Then the fifth one will come and locusts will come out of the very depths of hell. Then we'll get the sixth trumpet, which will bring death to a third of the world's population. And then finally, when the seventh trumpet is sounded, everyone will see that Christ is crowned king. All right, so that's the overview of everything we're going to look at. But before we even get to that, in the very first verse of chapter 8, we sort of have a bit of a transition from the previous camera angle, from tyranny. Because when the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. Now, it seems like a bit of an anticlimax, really, to have silence for a whole half an hour. But when you're in the heat of a battle or a raging storm, then there's something golden about silence. And that's what we see here. But with this transition, we now move right into the next section, which is chaos. And we see it in verse 2. We see that, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Seven angels each have a trumpet each. But before they blow, they get given something that God considers very, very valuable. And we saw this also earlier on in the book of Revelation. Because in verse 3, we read that another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. We are transported right into the very engine room of heaven. And right there, the core of the operations of God are our own humble prayers. And for what I can see, I, I think these are the prayers that people have specifically prayed in the midst of their grief and their trials. These are the prayers of anguish. They're probably similar to the prayers that were said in Revelation 6.10 that said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? They are the kind of prayers that are right there in the, in the throne room of God, in the very action room of heaven. They are the ones that are presented there to God. And it is a fresh reminder, friends, that our prayers are valuable in heaven. They are valuable. They are really important. And straight away the prayers are answered. Verse 5. We read that then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. And thunder crashed. Lightning flashed. And there was a terrible earthquake. Well... Immediately, God's angel acts to answer those prayers. How does the angel answer those prayers of, How long, Lord? Please help us. Please judge the people who are killing us for following you. Immediately, what they do is they put, the angel pours out wrath, anger on the earth. It is awesome. It is terrifying. And it shows the powerful answer to our prayers. You know, sometimes it's really easy for us as we pray just to think that our prayers go unnoticed by God, that our prayers don't really matter 
that they're kind of a bit of a self-help. You know, you can go to a, a happy place and get in a happy zone and, and that sort of your prayer is a way of you dealing with your own personal anguish. That's not what prayers are. Prayers are speaking to God and saying, God, the one who rules the universe, I ask you please to act. And right here we see that the prayers are acted upon by God in such a dramatic way. And so the seven angels begin blowing their trumpets one by one. And it begins with verse 7. We read that the first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire, one third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. We know what it's like when we see fire burn the earth. It is a horrible sight, isn't it? We've, we've seen it, we've smelt it. But what we see here is that not everything on the earth is burnt in response to the prayers saying, please God, judge the world. Only a third. It's a massive disaster, but only a third are destroyed. A third of the land is destroyed. Well, next we move to the oceans. And so we see in verses 8 and 9, then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. One third of all things living in the sea died. And one third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. When you think of water turning to blood, what does it remind you? Well, if you know your Bibles sort of semi-well, you'll know that there were all of the plagues that came in Egypt. And one of them was that the Nile River was turned to blood. Same thing is happening here. But it's only a third of the water that becomes blood. A third of all the living things died. Then we get the third angel blowing the trumpet. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness. It made one third of the water bitter and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Uh, what seems like a giant meteorite has hit the earth and has poisoned a third of the world's water supply. Not all the water but just a third. You notice that? Trumpet one, a third. Trumpet two, a third. Trumpet three, a third. And now trumpet four, verse 12. We read that then the fourth angel blew his trumpet and one third of the sun was struck and one third of the moon and one third of the stars and they became dark. And one third of the day was dark and also one third of the night. Darkness is now covering the whole earth for a third of the time. You get the picture? God's wrath is poured out so massively in all these key areas, but only a third of it. And with all of this, the trumpets bring chaos to the land. Must have been an absolutely terrifying experience to see those things one after another, bringing chaos in response to the prayers for judgment. On the ground, it must have been horrible. But now we see a bird's eye view that is even more scary. Because in verse 13, we read that, And I looked and I saw a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. See, now things are in chaos. But there is worse to come because there are still three more trumpets to sound. What's it going to be like? Well, we now look at chapter 9, verse 1, and we read 
that the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. The very mouth of hell is opened up. And at that point we see massive smoke spewing out like a giant volcano. But it's not just smoke that comes out. We see verses 3 and 4. That then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth. And they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. See, out of hell come locusts, uh, these, these grasshopper-like creatures that, that actually caused such mayhem also when the plagues came with the Egyptians. See, notice that the whole story of the Exodus is such a key thing in the whole Bible. The Passover, the Exodus, the plagues, and we're seeing it right here as a fresh reminder. But they're not just locusts. They've got these scorpion you know, things that will cause them to be able to sting and cause enormous pain. And so they came and, and people basically were saying, you know, they, they, they were terrified of what it was like. But what we see now in the midst of all of this is that they were protected. They were protected because God said that he would seal those who did, who had, he would protect those who had the seal of him on their foreheads. See, in the chaos, God protects his own people. I've got to say that's very, very comforting, isn't it? If you're one of God's children, if you've come to Jesus to ask for forgiveness and refuge, then you are safe. If he's put your stamp on you by his Holy Spirit, then you can know for sure that he will hold you fast, even in the midst of chaos, especially in the midst of chaos. That is a time when we will see him showing kindness and continuing to show grace and mercy to his own people whom he loves, even as judgment and justice is poured out. But we read a bit more about these horrible locusts in verses 5 and 6. We read that they were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days people will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from them. The locusts weren't there to kill the unbelievers. They were there to torture them. This is a truly terrifying image, isn't it? They're in so much torment that they prefer to die. See, God is answering the prayers of his people who seek justice, and this is how he's doing it. See, we really pray that God would deal justly with those who rebel against him and against his people. I think a lot of the time we think of the words of Jesus that tell us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, which is exactly what we need to do. But at the same time, we need to remember that there will be a time when God will judge all those who have acted to harm his people and have acted to disobey his rule. And the time is coming and it will be terrifying. But there's something else worth noticing here. 
and that is we see who it is who is ruling the locusts. Have a look at verse 11. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The king of these evil insects is the destroyer. In other words, it's, it's the Satan. How, how often have you heard people say, you know, well, I actually want to go to hell because I know that hell's going to be a big party, it's going to be a big drunken orgy, and that's where all my friends will be, and, you know, I'd rather you know, get into that sort of thing. Nothing is further, than, further from the truth. We see here that the devil tortures his own people. The devil is the one who is the king of the locusts, who caused terror to the enemies of God's people. God is using the devil to bring out his judgment upon all of those who have rebelled against God. It reminds me a little bit of the demon-possessed man. He spent his whole life with thousands of demons within him. He was fully possessed, not by the Holy Spirit, but by the evil spirit. And what did the evil spirit do? Did it give him lots of fun and parties and wild, crazy orgies? It made him cut himself and he wanted to die. And yet when he met Jesus, Jesus sent out those evil spirits and gave him the Holy Spirit. And what happened then was he was transformed and his life was brought to good. You see, those who are under the wrath of God through the actions of the king of the of the of the, the devil, the king of the of hell, they will be in torment. And we read here that they say that people will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. You have got to make sure you do everything possible to escape hell. And and as I take it, most of you who are watching this as I've sort of had a little look and seen some of your faces pop up and things. But many of you, most of you, are followers of Jesus already. Don't worry about it. You have the seal of God on your forehead and you are safe. But if you have not come to Jesus and maybe you have not brought yourself to him and, and taken your crown off and placed it before him on his throne, then you need to do that because the day is coming when hell will turn up and you will be there in agony and you would wish you could die. There is still time to turn. And it may be that you are watching this right this moment because God has put it on your Facebook feed. And right now, he wants you to turn from evil to Jesus and to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding and the safety that comes only in knowing him. Well, we now get to number six. And we read this, that the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. And then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one third of all the people on earth. I heard the size of their army which was 200 million mounted troops. See, four angels of destruction are now released in order to kill a third of all the humans. And with them were 200 million soldiers on war horses. Torture has now turned 
to execution. And it's happening not for all people, but how many? A third. Yet again, a third. And so what do you think will be with the reaction from the two-thirds who remain? One in every three has been killed. What will the other two in three do? Verses 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It's just like Pharaoh. Time and time again, he was given plague after plague after plague after plague. And then sometimes he said, oh, OK, I'm sorry. And then he went back to where he went. Two thirds of the population of the world have witnessed the death of one third of the population of the world. And what do they do? They say, oh, that was lucky, but I'm right. No worries. Don't worry about it. Ignore it. It's fine. We see that with some people, don't we? Some people will go through a really tough time, maybe even the point where they're thinking that they will die. I've got this cancer. I'm on this plane that's falling out of the sky. I've got this fire that's raging and running up my valley. And you say, Lord, I am now aware in this time of crisis that I need to do business with you and I'm so sorry. So please bring me through this disaster and through this chaos, I will come to Christ. And we hear how people do that and it's a wonderful story. It may not be such a crisis of a bushfire or a natural disaster. It might be a personal crisis, a crisis of addiction, a crisis of, a, of, of doing harm to others. And the reality is clear that you know you need to stop and you do when everything falls down around you. But many people just brush off themselves and say, oh, well, it's business as usual. I suppose I felt a bit of a tug on my heart about God and all of that, but I'll just let it go away. See, crises can lead us to either soften or harden our hearts. Either can happen. And that is what we see here. We see two-thirds of the population harden their hearts in the midst of the destruction and chaos. But then God's word arrives on scene. Chapter 10, verse 1. We read that, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. This is a huge angel that is awesome and terrifying. And he brings them a special message from heaven, which is this little scroll in his hand. And then, skipping to verse 8 and 9, we read that the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. It's a little odd, isn't it, really? 
Normally you read books, not eat them. But the reason that this was supposed to happen in, the, in this bizarre prophecy, this bizarre vision, is that the message of God is something that will bring hope, but also hardship. Hope plus also hardship. There's the sweetness of salvation. That moment when you realise that you have been saved, that you've been forgiven, that you no longer need to fear death, whatever happens, that is a moment of great sweetness like honey. But as you consume the word of God, you'll recognise that it doesn't mean that life is going to get easy. In fact, it can get a lot harder on this earth. That's exactly what was happening here in the book of Revelation to all those people in Rome and all scattered around Turkey. They knew that they were going to get executed, many of them, because they followed Jesus. See, that's really what it's like living as a Christian here on earth today. The sweetness of the gospel, salvation, but also the reality of persecution and hardship. If anyone sells you a gospel of Jesus that tastes sweet and sits perfectly in your stomach and makes you feel happy all the time, then they've, they've sold you a fake because that's not what the gospel of Jesus is about. Life this side of heaven is hard and we see this so clearly as what will happen now to the people of God and the persecution that will now unfold. Because we read in chapter 11, verse 1 to 2, Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the number of worshippers. But do not measure the outer courtyard, for it's been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months. All the nations that stand opposed to God will trample God's followers. And I think what's being described here is exactly what happened in 70 AD. So what's that? That's about, about 40 years, a little under 40 years after Jesus died. And it's around about 25 years before this letter was written. So it's very much in their minds, the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. It must have been a horrifying day. Uh, Mandy and I were over in Jerusalem two years ago and we, we saw beside the Temple Mound these giant big stones that were probably, I don't know, this big? And they were still lying there, all in ruins on the side, 2,000 years later almost. It was enormous destruction and it led to great hardship and pain. But in the midst of all of this, it seems that two of God's people will speak God's word for three and a half years. We don't know exactly who those two prophets are, but it seems pretty likely that the original readers would have known this detail, and, and they would have known a number of other details as well. When it talks about specific earthquakes and, and famines and things, they're like, oh yeah, because that, that, they often had earthquakes around what is modern Turkey today. And so with all of this, they are probably aware of who these two specific people are. But we don't know who they are. But we do know that they are people who stood up and said the word of God. But I, I kind of like their sort of superpowers. Because uh, we read in verse 5 that if anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. Uh, as if God is working powerfully through these prophets here. They're kind of powerful prophets like the prophets in the time of Elijah and, and we think of Moses as well. 
But also we know that prophets were regularly beaten up. It was not, a, you know, if, if you went to one of those vocational guidance sessions and they said, congratulations, we think you should be an Old Testament prophet, just go, ooh, because it's not, I mean, you, sure, you'll be famous, you'll find yourself in the Bible, but I tell you what, you're going to have a horrible life. And that's what we see here. Verse 7 and 8. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them, and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. When they finish preaching the gospel, they will be attacked by the beast from hell, and their bodies will be strewn around in the place that was once the city of God, beautiful Jerusalem, is now called Sodom. It's now called Egypt. Uh, you couldn't pick two names that were more offensive to call Jerusalem. And yet that is exactly how it needs to be described now, as it has turned and united to kill our Lord, which is exactly what we have seen happen. I mean, Jerusalem is an amazing place to visit. You see so much history and it brings the Bible to life in so many ways. It was a blessing for, for us to go and see it last uh, two years ago. But at the end of the day, we need to recognise that it has gone from being the city of God to the city of the devil because it is the place where we've seen the destruction of our Lord Jesus. And yet, it also is a place of resurrection. And that is what we see also here in verse 11. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them and they stood up. That's these two guys have been, been killed. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. These persecuted preachers are now raised with Christ. It's a wonderful thing. The enemy wanted them destroyed. Straight out of the pits of hell they came and they destroyed these two prophets. But what happened? They were raised to life with Christ. There's, a, there's really strong hope here. There's a strong hope right before us. It's kind of like you can take our life, but you can't take our freedom in Christ. And the enemy standing there would have gone, whoa didn't see that coming just like when they put Jesus in the tomb and on that first Easter Sunday as the tomb is there and it's empty and they're like scratching their heads saying he's risen it would have been a shocking experience for them not to mention the earthquake we read in verse 13 that at the same time there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city 7,000 people died in that earthquake and everybody else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And with that comes the final trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. We see here that Christ was crowned at the cross. As the seventh trumpet is opened, is sounded, there's great noise. It's not like when the seventh seal was opened and it was quiet. No, the seventh trumpet is shouted, is sounded, and there's shouting. There's shouting because at that moment Christ is crowned at the cross. 
Jesus is seated on his throne. It's not like he's sitting back thinking, well, I've done round one, I'm ready for round two. It has happened. The victory has been won. And now we wait patiently for the time when he will return. As we are living in this time of, of tribulation, where people are executed daily for their faith, we know that in this time, Christ is on his throne and it's not much longer before he returns. And so the 24 elders who we've heard about earlier on in the book of Revelation, they worship God again, verses 17 and 18, and they say, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. Christ is reigning and we are waiting. This is the experience. We long for that day when we will fully experience the judgment of God, when there will be justice, when there will be no more fear as we declare the name of Jesus. Christ is reigning and we are waiting. And soon there will be destruction to all who have brought this chaos on the earth. And so with this in mind, we see a glimpse of the true temple in heaven. Verse 19. Then in heaven the temple of God was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. The ark of the covenant, which is the very center point of the promises of God, is right before us. God will keep his promises for sure. God is real and he is ruling. Friends, we live in a time of chaos. Sometimes that chaos is greater than other times, and I think you would say that of now, wouldn't you? Sometimes it's the chaos of natural disasters, and we've had a few of those. Right now it's the chaos of a tiny invisible virus that is causing such chaos. But sometimes it's the chaos of personal grief and hardship. And sometimes, as is especially on view here, it's the chaos that comes from the persecution that hits those who talk about Jesus and live in his name. But in all of this, friends, we've got to remember this. Jesus is ruling on his throne. Don't think for a second that he's left his throne and that he's sort of looking down on earth thinking, whoops, what am I doing here? This is a bit of a mess. I didn't see that coming. He is ruling on his throne. And this is great comfort. Let us pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for the comfort we find in knowing that Christ is on his throne. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are ruling this earth. And we do pray that in this time, as we wait for your return, you might help us to keep being patient and keep being watchful as we look forward to the time when you will return to judge the living and the dead and bring us home. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.